Genre. It's Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. Today we are continuing our mini-series on the live-action films of Wes Anderson with his eighth film, The Grand Budapest Hotel. And we have a guest joining us to talk about stories within stories, art inheritance, and toothless goons is Chelsea Kern. Welcome. Hello. Hello, hello. Hi, hi, hi. Uh, so, so tell us uh, where where does your Wes Anderson uh, journey begin? Your your fandom of Wes Anderson. Uh, well, Scott, it begins with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I'm pretty sure you were the first person to ever introduce me to Wes Anderson, and uh, I this was actually this movie in particular was the first Wes Anderson movie that I ever saw. Mm-hmm. Um, Grand Budapest Hotel. It was my entry point into Wes Anderson. And, uh, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah. So, so Grand Budapest Hotel is an interesting one. It's this weird thing where, you know, we've done this whole mini series and it's mm-hmm. all been sort of, it's leading to the French dispatch, which we're going to talk about in next week's episode. But this is sort of like at the time of this recording, French dispatch hasn't come out yet. None of us have seen it. And so. It's kind of the miniseries feels like it's been leading to this episode. (laughs) And, you know, it's the movie that got it's his biggest hit. It's uh, the movie that, you know, won the most awards at the Academy Awards. It was nominated for the most things. Um, It was a huge cultural sensation, this movie. Um, And I was just thinking this whole miniseries, I was like, there's no way it's as good as I remember it being. Like we're watching all of these Wes Anderson movies and I'm just like, these movies are so good. There's no way Grand Budapest is better than any of these. And, uh, dear listener, I was wrong. Uh, Grand Budapest is the best one. Um, and it's uh, so good. It's so good. It is, it is crazy. And I will say when they were, when this movie was in process of being made, because the thing with Wes Anderson movies is like, typically you read what the like the the little like one liner of like what the movie is as mm-hmm. it's like rolling into production and you're like kind of just like I mean okay I guess sure whatever <laughs> I don't know I don't know what this means um, mm-hmm. and they're like yeah it's this movie called the Grand Budapest Hotel uh, and and Ray Fiennes is in it and I was like all right man sure like you know I, you hear about it and and I don't I don't get excited about it I'm just kind of like yeah all right sure. But I saw this opening night and um, I didn't think I thought for sure that this was going to be like uh, more like Darjeeling limited level for me at the time where I was like, oh, I'll watch it. It'll be fine. And I'm not going to like love it. But like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, do I love this movie? Uh, Nick, what what were your thoughts when you first uh, when you first saw it? Because at this point you were like well aware of Wes Anderson and you were like following it as it was getting cast and everything. Just like yeah, that. you know, this came out in 2014, uh, which, 
you know, it, 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 it is like a number of years ago, but it still feels like very recent. I was like yeah, already in college. I saw this again with a uh, former franchiseography guest, Hunter Kennedy. Mm-hmm. We were we were still roommates in the <laughs> scope of time that these two movies came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like you said, Scott, it, uh, it, it immediately really felt like his masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I think the, the great surprise of it is that it blends the, um, you know, sort of the, the, the seriousness of Darjeeling limited, the, the weight mm-hmm. and the soberness of, of, of Darjeeling limited, but then it also carries over the like beautifully orchestrated whimsy of fantastic Mr. Fox and Moonrise Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And mm. so it is really cool that this is the finale right now for us because this this is so this is this feels like such a masterwork and such a synthesized synthesization uh-huh a synth- sure. of of everything that I, he's done. I don't know if that's a word, but I I love it. So I think you should I appreciate stick it. it. <laughs> yeah. Go for it. Of um, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Of of uh like like Zabroka. Yeah. Zabrowka. But yeah, like it's so good that I'm okay with like French dispatch being like messy and small and weird. Because sure. like I don't know how an artist you know, kind of like Isle of Dogs, which which was like messy and uneven and weird, but like you know, but yeah, like I th- this really knocked me knocked me out when I saw it in theaters. Yeah. I also mm-hmm. I saw this, I was still living in Fort Wayne and I remember it mm-hmm. was like empty. It was in the smallest theater. <laughs> And it was empty. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was and and it was like opening night. Um, but like this was a juggernaut uh with the coastal elites, as I like to call them. Uh <laughs> <laughs> you do. Every <laughs> week on franchiseography, you're right, week. you're railing it. <laughs> no, no, I embrace <laughs> I embrace them. I, I give them a verbal yes. hug. Those coastal They're elites. People now. Yeah. Um, I'm one of them. Uh <laughs> we we all are, all three of us on this on this podcast. Yes. Um, and I shall die as one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah, it was it, like I, I walked out of that and I was like, Does anyone know? Does anyone know? <laughs> oh yeah, like it, it didn't I bet walking out of that theater you didn't feel like this was going to be like his biggest financial hit and be nominated for all the Oscars and whatnot. Right, right, yeah. So the story of uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel and and the making of it starts with author uh, Stefan Zweig, mm-hmm. I, and and this is a uh, he is a Jewish writer from Austria who wrote these these books that had that would like start with someone meeting with someone else and then that person telling them a story and then the book was the story and it was it was a lot of like stories within stories and things like that and Wes Anderson was enamored by his storytelling because you know it's very similar to his own um mm-hmm. and so he really liked this guy and liked his writing style and wanted to make a movie that was in the style and sort of an ode to this to this man um, while also creating a protagonist that was very similar to Stefan Zweig, um, who was sort of a somewhat pompous, kind of like intellectual, like mm-hmm. artsy guy. Um, yeah. And uh, and he wanted someone who was who who was that kind of character. Uh, once again, the theme that we keep coming back to the uh, fake it until you make it kind of character that Wes Anderson absolutely adores um mm-hmm. stefan zweig uh he actually died in brazil um in 1942 while escaping the nazis uh so he actually ended up having a very similar end 
to our wow. lead character um, in this in this film. Uh, once again, sort of like another ode to this guy. Um, so mm-hmm. he knew he wanted to make a movie that was an ode to this author. Also, side note, he had met a new friend, uh, and that new friend was a man named Hugo Guinness. Hugo Guinness, of mm. course, the heir to the Guinness fortune, the Guinness Got it. beer huh. fortune. Um, because <laughs> as with, it seems like, all things in Wes Andersonville, uh, uh, he makes a decision of, like, I'm never, ever going to do that. And then after that, he only does that. So. When he was making Rushmore, I'm not, I don't want some kid who's like part of like a famous family. Like I want a real, I want to be surrounded by real people. And then he meets Jason Schwartzman, who of course comes from the Coppolas. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then that leads the ball rolling to the point where now it seems like all of his friends are all heirs to something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Hugo Guinness, who is an artist um, and a friend. Uh, and, and again, heir to the Guinness, uh, <laughs> the Guinness empire. fortune empire. <laughs> um, he had an idea for a story about a painting inheritance, um, because he had always thought that it was interesting that you could leave someone a, a painting that belongs in a museum, but if you own it, you can just pass it through your family forever. Um, until eventually it, you know, either there's no heir to give it to, or the heir donates it to a museum. Um, mm-hmm. And so he was just fascinated by this whole process of yeah. like art inheritance and uh, and pitched this story of someone uh, getting a painting that the rest of the family felt they didn't deserve um, and uh, and 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 hijinks ensue, which is actually weirdly a, a very similar sort of storyline to like Knives Out. Sure. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Kind of a similar yeah. story. Yeah. So so uh, so he ended up. Deciding to combine these things and then also add in the extra element of a grand hotel. Um, and uh, once again, just like with the Darjeeling Limited um, and uh, going with his co-writers on a trip on a train trip to like figure out different scenarios that could happen in the script that they were writing together. He and Hugo Guinness and uh, the other uh, the other story uh, people on this, um, of course, uh, uh, Roman Coppola and uh, Jason Schwartzman, they all sort of went together on a uh, European hotel tour where they just went hmm. to all of these hotels built between 1816 and 1910 um, and just went on a tour of all these hotels, creating the story for the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. And, uh, nice. <laughs> and so they fucking hammered. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. They had to. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> but only on wine. Only on wine. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, for sure. Exclusively. Uh, only wine drunk. Um, and, uh, and this is when he learned of the society of the golden keys, which would then in the movie become the society of the cross keys. Uh, this was a real (laughs) thing where the proprietors of these old timey hotels had a club where they were all just sort of working together and, and helping each other out, um, with the various things. I don't think to the extent that they do in the movie, but, uh, but yeah, um, I would say. I would I would say at some point the uh the the golden keys have definitely hidden a body or two. Um I <laughs> that would be my guess. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, so that's uh that's the story of this movie. It's it's sort of three ideas that he combined into one idea. Um and then uh we got what we got, uh which is you know, largely speaking, I think Wes Anderson's masterpiece. So um, or at the very least, his masterwork. 
And uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see how all of this pays off with the French Dispatch um, in our mm. next episode. But, Nick, let's talk about the Grand Budapest Hotel. <clears throat> yes. Uh, we open in the uh, the country formerly known as Zabrowka mm-hmm. at uh, the Old Lutz Cemetery, where uh, it's pretty interesting revisiting the movie because, like, you could easily say that this little prologue takes place, quote, present day. Yes. And mm-hmm. this this hipster who probably has some old <clears throat> beat up Wes Anderson Blu-rays that they bought at a half price bookstore or something. Sure. Um, visits <laughs> the old Lutz Cemetery and visits the gravesite of uh, author who mm-hmm. has like these all, dozens of keys adorning his gravestone. And there you see like a, a, a head piece saying like, you know, here lies a national treasure. Right. And uh, the the hipster, the young person is holding up a copy of the author's book. Uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the second kick jumps in. <laughs> the, second <laughs> the second jump second. kicks in. <laughs> and we are in, uh, in ty- inside of the author's study, played by Tom Wilkinson. Mm-hmm. In 1985. 1985, yes. 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 Uh, 1985. And he, yeah, they get, we get that needle drop in the movie. Uh, they play some bowling for soup. I, I love that. I love that bit where uh, he's recording his like <laughs> intro or whatever, and he's like interrupted by his son. That felt like a very yes. real father son interaction. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. I love that immediately. It, it feels like at every level as it goes, it, mm-hmm. everything becomes more and more absurd. So like, yes. mm-hmm. yeah. So like on this first level in 1985, you just have that one little absurd moment that is very like true to life. Right. Mm. But at, mm-hmm. in the present day, it's just like kind of gritty and real. Like it doesn't even yeah. really look much like a Wes Anderson movie outside of like just sort of like a naturally found symmetry, um, mm-hmm. you know, with the uh, wrought iron gates and everything. Yeah. The moment with the sun, now that I'm thinking about it, 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 on- it honestly feels almost like a, a metaphor for the whole movie, which is like explaining very serious ideas and themes and then is like awkwardly interrupted by like pure silliness and pure whimsy (laughs) yes and those two trying to reconcile and then uh, the the author uh remembers a time back in 1968 where he visited the grand budapest hotel long past its prime Mm -hmm. where it was uh, under the care of monsieur jean played by uh returning champ jason schwartzman Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Got a little um, verklempt seeing him, like after you know, going through all the way through his this mini series of his movies, just seeing that he's still there, even in this <laughs> tiny little role. It was just kind of <laughs> touching. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Owen Wilson later on, definitely too. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah that was great. Yeah, I I wish Luke Wilson was in here somewhere, but mm-hmm. you know. And uh, yeah, yeah, for sure, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, we can't have it all. uh this is uh and so yeah like the jude law now is the author the younger version of tom wilkinson um another first time wes anderson player Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this is a theme that really resonated with me the idea of visiting a beautiful place long past its its glory days yeah um Mm. that honestly is kind of what it feels like living in america and like throughout my life i've like worked in places where it's like, yeah, this place used to be really great. And you're kind of walking through the tattered remains, whether it was a high yeah. school or, or a mall or something, you know. Yeah. So this, uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, this was 
<clears throat> sort of a set. Um, they, they didn't build a set per se, but they found an abandoned department store and mm-hmm. they built the Grand Budapest lobby inside of, um, this, uh, this old, you know, abandoned department store that was, you know, like an old school department store, like a 1930s oh, yeah. department store with like a big grand, like, you know, five story mm-hmm. tall, like atrium. Um, and, uh, so they built the 1932 version of the grand budapest hotel first and then when they were done when they shot all that out and then they added just a ceiling to the first floor um and then you know made everything sort of decrepit and and everything and that gives us our our 68 version um but it's uh the same location they just uh uh just you know repainted everything yeah (laughs) and some some of the most gorgeous uh like paintings like matte painting work Mm-hmm. Or you know, and like, miniatures, like the, the, yeah, and miniatures. I mean, like the swirling oh, pink yeah. sky around yeah. the, the Budapest Hotel in the '30s, but even the '60s. I mean, it, it it's it's beautifully faded, and it kind of really nails. I mean, I wasn't alive back then, but you know that kind of late '60s faded vibe. That mm-hmm, things, mm-hmm. I mean, like the use of color in this movie, you could teach it. Yes, class. Mm-hmm. the color grading and the aspect ratio, like the way it it brings you into that time period for mm. all three different. Uh, times that we or four all four different time periods yeah. that we yeah and yeah. yet and yet like every time i revisit this movie it's, even this time i always remember that after the fact the aspect ratio thing of like oh that's right that is because it's so deft and so smooth mm-hmm. and mm. so fun that you're just taken up through the story and it isn't until afterwards that you're really thinking about all the artistry and technical mastery that needed to happen for the movie to even go that smooth yeah yes yeah so uh jude law is spending his days uh talking to uh uh, monsieur jean at like the front lobby Mm -hmm. where uh they see uh, an older version of zero mustafa played by f murray abraham yes yeah Um, another another wes anderson first timer yeah he he loved working on this movie though he loved oh i believe it anderson um oh that's great yeah there was something he was just like he was just gushing about him about working on it Mm -hmm. um in in some of the behind the scenes stuff he was just talking about how you know there are you know that you're working you can instantly know that you're working with a good director when you walk on the set and you feel like you're walking in someone's house Mm. um versus like a place of work a business like he just felt like everyone there was like welcoming him and it was just like it was a very very like good energy well that uh that tracks uh, that that reminded me of what you were sharing back in our uh our life aquatic episode about how he would they would have like wine and full meals and like yes. really enjoy life while they were making this you know working really hard making a movie yeah yeah right. and they definitely did that here as well there was a whole section of the department store that was uh, set aside as a like their their sort of like dining room where they would eat every night with a uh, mm. Michelin star chef every night. Wow. Yes. Dang. Now I want to be on a set. See, that's <laughs> how you have money. Yes. <laughs> right. Sometimes it feels like only people with no taste get rich. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of, I don't know. I'm kind of like, yeah, that's what I would do if I had millions of dollars making the thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and like you know, I mean, yeah, like F. Murray Abraham, F. F. Murray Abraham is just so immediately 
at home in this role and just feels so lived in and has such warmth. And like, you know, that scene in the bathhouse where he meets with Jude Law. And mm. I kept thinking about another, I mean, like a, a reoccurring theme of this movie is kind of like the decline of civility. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, a, it's a motif we, I think we've seen in all of his movies of people struggling to hold on to this, maybe even fantasized version mm-hmm. of how we used to treat one another. Mm-hmm. And approach one another with like empathy and curiosity in a lot of different ways because like Mm -hmm. you know we were just talking about this last week with moonrise kingdom being about the loss of innocence and i think you're exactly right this isn't Mm. about the loss of innocence this is about the loss of civility um and and so it's always about him looking back and being like i wish we could take all the good things from the past and still have them while also jettisoning all the bad things, you know? Right. Because this is also... Yeah. Oh, no, please. Yeah, I was going to say, but the argument in this movie is that, like, y- you can't. Like, you you, you kind of can't. You know, it's like... Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because this is, all, is also his, his, like, most brutal, violent movie. Yes. Yes. Which yes. we'll get into. I, can, I think that's kind of the biggest take. You know, like, um, I, I was watching something today, randomly, just and someone made, like, a Wes Anderson joke. And it's so funny to me now coming out of this miniseries that like Wes Anderson movies are criticized for being like dollhouses and just play sets that are have no impossible to get into. None of the characters are human when like all of the moments I remember are like someone cradling like a like their dead dog or like, you know, like like this Luke Wilson scene in Royal Tenenbaums, like really visceral weight, weighty scenes. Right. Um, Yeah. Right. So. But anyway, like the movie, I'm kind of getting jumbled. Uh, <laughs> so they, they, F. Mary Abraham and Jude Law sit down for dinner, and uh, Zero has like a, he's become this legend where he acquired this fortune and actually owns the Grand Budapest Hotel. And so he sits down to tell Jude Law his story over yeah. lamb and champagne. I mm. so th- this scene, the the camera is sort of like swiveling, is like in between them, and is like swiveling back and forth between them um, mm-hmm. in like close ups. And um, I guess I've never seen them shoot something like that before, because I mm. guess I had always just pictured like, oh, yeah, like it's just the camera's like on the middle of the table. And then you just like it's on like a lazy Susan or something. And you just sort of like, <laughs> sort of like back and forth. Yeah. But no, they're at two separate tables about 10 feet apart from each other. And the what? whole camera rig is in the middle of the two tables, and the lens is the thing that's making you feel like they're at the same table. Huh. And I that's was just crazy. like, yeah. so cool. Yeah, I know. I was just, I was just sort of like yeah, because- <laughs> flabbergasted when I was watching the behind the scenes thing. And I was like, that's how they get those shots. <laughs> yeah, because those scenes between them feel so intimate and yeah. Yeah. Warm. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, there's this shot that I'm. A, I just want to real quick where like he's the uh, F. Murray Abraham says like, well, because of our mutual friend, referring to Jason Schwartzman, mm-hmm. and he kind of backs into the shot from far yes. away, like he yes. he, you know, he senses <laughs> someone talking about him. Yeah, it's so good. I love that. Um, yeah. I want to. I I feel like this is probably a good as good a place as any to bring up the fact that of something very interesting that I discovered. Um, in my my uh, yes. my research of this movie, um, so one of the things that uh that that people always talk about with Wes Anderson is how he loves those um you know those very intricate little tiny shots of like of objects 
and things like mm-hmm. that of just like mm-hmm. these little like these little montages of objects and things like that. But I think, you know, what we learned, Nick, was that um, that was not they weren't really shot in the way that people make fun of them until very recently, like kind of Moonrise Kingdom is sort of like where the 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 montage of things like started happening like you have like sort like of, Susie's toys and stuff in her books exactly exactly yes yes absolutely and so this very specific visual component to Wes Anderson's um sort of uh, style mm-hmm. didn't start happening until he till he met Roman Coppola because Roman Coppola shoots second unit on Wes Anderson movies now so. So it is wow. actually Roman Coppola who has sort of perfected the Wes Anderson look. Because, sure. Wow. Yes. Because Roman Coppola does all of that second unit before Wes Anderson did all of his own second unit. And that's why they right. were like a little messier. But the the reason that hmm. they're so tight and specific now is because he has a second, a second unit uh, director in the form of Roman Coppola doing all of those shots. Wow. Yeah. That is so cool. <laughs> Which I just thought that that was really interesting because we talk about how he met Roma Coppola with Darjeeling Limited and became a co-writer with him and like, you know, BFFs. But uh, I did not know that he shot Second Unit until doing research on this. And uh, and then I looked into it and it was like, oh, yeah, he started shooting Second Unit when <laughs> things started getting very Wes Anderson. When everything sort of like boiled down to like a condensed Wes Anderson look and aesthetic that was when he took over as a second unit hmm. that's that's really yeah it almost reminds me of like uh, a band when you hear about like yeah when like a drummer or a keyboardist in a band and all of a sudden just the sound really clicks and yeah yeah I don't know yeah that that is a really interesting of how like that motif really synced everything together yeah because it's almost like he himself, because he is not Wes Anderson, he has to do second unit on a Wes Anderson film. So he's like, okay, what does a Wes Anderson film look like and feel like? And then it's him doing an impression of Wes Anderson or almost like a parody of Wes Anderson, <laughs> but it's yeah. in a Wes Anderson film, you know? And so right. it becomes Wes Anderson. It's just really interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of the nature of second unit, which is, yeah, like it, 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 is, it is building connective tissue. Mm-hmm. And you want it to feel seamless and not feel like it was, you know, made by a different person. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, so uh, F. Murray Abraham takes us into 1932. The third uh, jump kicks in. Third kick jumps in. <laughs> and uh, we are introduced <laughs> to M. Gustav, played by Ray Fiennes. And uh, what yeah. might be my favorite performance of his. Yes. The, yes. Uh, 100%. The, the idea that this is the same human that was Amon Geth in Schindler's List is like pretty mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. In some ways, I thought he was like I think I think Gustav might be the ultimate Wes Anderson protagonist. He, he he's certainly the one that reminds me the most of what I've come to learn about Wes Anderson, where he is this mm-hmm. like last bastion of civility that is like Scott said, faking it till you make it, or uh, as F. Oh, or yeah. Mary, as F. Murray Abraham calls it at the end of the movie, sustaining the illusion. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh God, I love F. Murray Abraham so much. So great. <laughs> but, so great. But but yeah, this is this is an incredible one of the greatest comic performances I can think of. Like every 
so uh, we had to reschedule this. And so I watched half the movie and then my internet conked out and then some days <laughs> passed and I watched the whole movie again because I was like, well, I can't just start in the middle. And yeah, so right. the first like half hour, I, I wasn't even taking notes because I already did. I really just got to like watch the movie and like the scene where he meets zero and they're doing, he's just walking through and he's just solving every problem with every step that he takes. Mm-hmm. But he just has very, you can tell he has such a history with everyone that he's talking to. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and he's, I don't know. I could talk all day about him. But yeah. He's a fascinating character. He's so fully formed. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, they talk about, how ray finds they're like they're like ray finds he's a method actor but they're like but in the mode the kindest most polite way like they're <laughs> like he doesn't get he doesn't intrude on anyone but he he feels like he wants to the more he is this character the more he understands them which allows him to like make more interesting choices in the scene and so he was just walking around as this guy on set um and everyone was just sort of delighted by it. They're like, it's the I've there. There would be people who would be like, I've worked with a lot of method actors. This was the best experience with that I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, and I think that lends to why you like you, you mentioned the character feeling so lived in, mm-hmm. and like yeah. we've just found this man who's been living in this hotel, and this is his. He's the master of his domain. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How do we feel about? The uh, F. Murray Abraham, um, what's the other, what's the kid's name? Uh, Flash Thompson. <clears throat> oh, um, uh, Tony Ravioli. Yeah, Tony Ravioli. How do we feel about them playing the same character, uh, being of uh, completely different backgrounds, um, nationalities? Um, if If it bothers you, that's valid. Um, it doesn't bother me, and that's also valid. Yeah. Okay. As a very white person, I feel like I <laughs> don't have a right to be like, that's wrong. But I don't know. I, I'm i a little ambivalent to it. I I kind of agree with what Nick said. If it bothers you, that's valid. And if it doesn't, that's valid, too. It's interesting. But then I think th- they're not playing either. Right, either either nationality in the in the right movie. So sure, yeah. I mean, the movie. It, every, there's a lot of coding that goes on mm-hmm. that relies on the viewer to kind of like, okay, this is we're supposed to we're in the Alps. This is Germany, and zero. You know, we've kind of talked about how uh, Wes Anderson movies exist on the artifice, where like things kind of like you know think about the Native American tribe in Moonrise Kingdom, where they were called like the, you know, they had this like fictional name you know so it's yeah like uh just out there you know it's sort of like you you know you're like somewhere in the middle east like in the west our worldview is so limited our knowledge of other cultures and countries is so limited that we're like you know over there right right yeah i mean my thing is like i think that they do such a good job of like they feel like the same person which is yes i i like i don't really even know how to like put my finger on what what Tony Ravioli doing uh, to be F. Murray Abraham, but like he's doing a really, really excellent job of like being like he he's kind of the perfect Wes Anderson protagonist because he f- did fake it and he has now made it. And we get to see both <laughs> parts of that protagonist story, um, which right. I think is, is really uh, fascinating. But um, you get a sense of like, 
oh, wow, this guy has been through a lot. And you also get the sense of like, this kid has seen a lot, but hasn't experienced that much yet. But like, sure. you can picture the journey that he goes on from going from that kid to F. Murray Abraham. And I think that that's, uh, it's really compelling. Yeah, I mean, kind of like you said about M. Gustav, where he zero pops into the movie and you already just sense that he's lived this life mm-hmm. and had all these difficult adventures and stuff that has led him here. And we're sort of catching up with both of them as they start this like beautiful friendship with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I, I, but like another thing I really love about M. Gustav is that he's he's not per- he's kind of a dick. Like uh, <laughs> he 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 meets with Tilda Swinton and she's like his lover and like she gives him this coin and like put this in a church and he's like oh I'll do it personally I promise I swear I love you and then just immediately gives it to zero and then like forgets uh-huh. doesn't even care that he does it. Yep. <laughs> it's I love how repulsed he was by her nail polish too. Like it was just like physically repulsed by it. He could not yeah. believe that she had this hideous color on her nails. But he's really honest about it is the thing. Yes. And he's not he's not even being mean about it. He's just like nope. he's he's just like who did this to you? <laughs> like he's Yes. <laughs> he's offended that that and like she would have those nails. It's the same tone as when, uh, oh God, I can't remember what exactly is happening in the scene, but I remember at one point he goes, to fucking Lutz? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, are you yeah. kidding? It's the same tone as that. Like, what? Clutch this, my pearls. Yeah. There's this part yeah. where he's like, he's giving Zero his uh, interview questions and everyone's bothering him with all of their little things. And mm-hmm. this one guy just shows him, and he's being very kind to everyone. And then the maitre d' or someone shows him some menus and goes, not now. <laughs> yes, and you're like, oh, like you know, like, like an opinion on every single thing. On yes, oh, it's so good. And yeah, like we we learn a little bit more about Gustav, his women. He has a habit of charming older ladies that come into the hotel, and it's it's this sort of moral gray zone where like he makes them feel it. He, he charms them, and you know he's very romantic and charming, but then also he gets to hobnob with like the social elite that he's mm-hmm. sort of semi pretending. I mean, there's an incredible shot where we see his bedroom where the prettiest, most immaculate part of his bedroom are the stacks of perfume that he has. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But he's like in his boxers, in his undershirt, eating soup. And like, yes. yeah, that's him when no one's watching. Yeah. He eats alone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just yeah. kind of like all but he of goes us. to bed with all of his friends. Mm-hmm. Yes, he sleeps with all of his friends. <laughs> uh, here we uh, we also meet uh, Deputy Kovacs, who comes to the hotel played by Jeff Goldblum, who we haven't seen since uh, Life Aquatic, right? Mm-hmm. Very true. Mm. I can't remember if he's a voice in uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. I feel like I'd remember if he was. I think he is. is like I think he is, too. I'm not 100%, but I'm pretty sure he is. Yeah. yeah. We would but... know if, if we watched it. <laughs> uh, we're introduced to Sir Ronan mm-hmm. playing Agatha, who works at Mendel's. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it's 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 clear to the author or to that uh, that Mustafa is like not ready to share that part of the story. Yeah. So this is I like I know that her big sort of debut in a movie was Hannah, um, which was like a few years prior to this, but. Uh, is this the thing that kind of puts Sir Sharonin like on everybody's radar? I feel like it's this movie because it's like it's after to this tell. you start I'm... getting Lady Bird and all of that stuff. 
it's hard to tell like when because like atonement was just such a mic drop and she was like three or whatever okay you know i've never seen that so i didn't know that was her uh, oh man atonement's great scott (laughs) okay (laughs) um so but yeah like it was like this and then like you said hannah and then like i don't know it's right then ladybird was also such another like mic drop when did she do Lovely Bones? I feel like that's the first time I remember seeing yeah, her. Yeah, that was like 09. God, she's been around forever. I, I just, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't City of Ember? It. Yeah. Wow, that was her too. That was yeah. my when I was like, whoa, that movie sucked, but that one girl was really good. Man, mm-hmm. they just really just kept trying to make it happen, and, and it, she just kept faking <laughs> it until she made it. She made, yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's... Uh, yeah, and and she she joins the crew too. Uh, I'm pretty sure she shows up in um in French. I mean that fucking poster of French dispatchers has like everyone. Yeah, it's like the, it's I mean like that's the just move now, album right? cover. Yeah, you know, I yeah, like I had this kind of like like ah like moment where I, I you know like there's that um, I love the ending of Rushmore and that the ending of Rushmore is Max puts all of everyone that he loves under one tent mm-hmm. and. It's interesting that as he's getting older, that's kind of what his movies are becoming, where the ensemble keeps getting, because he keeps just making all these friends. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Beautiful. Uh, Zero and M. Gustav uh, travel to Lutz in in lieu of uh, Madame D. Tilda Swinton's murder. She was found, or death. When the paper, what what did it say? Because it was like war coming, tanks on the border, and then she was dead. Yeah, she found dead. found dead. Yeah, because yeah, the murder the 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 murder reveal comes later. Got so just yeah, dead. Very true. Yeah, and they're on the train and they run into some tanks in the barley field, and they belong to the unnamed fascist government that is slowly sinking its claws into Zabrowka and closing mm. the frontier. Uh, Zero is accosted by these fascists, and uh, the group uh, they're attacked. But the attack is interrupted by Edward Norton playing uh, Hankles. 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 Yeah. yeah. I love Edward Norton in a Wes Anderson joint. I really Absolutely. want him. I want him to play a protagonist, I think, in a Wes Anderson movie at some point. Yeah. He just really knows how to be in these movies. Yeah. He does. He just speaks the same language. Yeah. Um, and that's like, a good way that's, to put it. Yeah. Yeah, that scene is so, I mean, it's kind of the movie, one of the movie's key themes in a nutshell, where Hinkles is a Nazi, you know, coded heavily as a Nazi, a fascist. Mm -hmm. And he has warm, kind memories of Gustav caring for him as a boy when he stayed with his parents at the Grand Budapest. Mm -hmm. And he's like, do you remember me? And whether he's faking it or not, uh, Gustav is like, of course I remember you. It's uncanny, young, you know, and like, you don't know if he's playing it up or if he's like really being genuine. Right. Um, but it it keeps zero alive. And that's it, the, it's that's the thing though. It's like I feel like the movie says over and over and over again that like no, it's real. The fake part mm-hmm. is him hobnobbing with people, but he really genuinely loves that, but doesn't really belong there because he's just running a hotel. He's not like a rich famous person. But right. like he, the civility comes from the the genuine care that he has for these people like he is yes he gets to hobnob with these people when he is 
making love to these elderly women. But like mm-hmm. he talks to Zero and is like, no, I genuinely love doing this. Like I, yeah. I, I have a great time with these women. Like it, it's all very genuine. And so the fact that he calls him by his first name where he's like, of course, uncanny. It's it's and then says his first name, which I, I is eluding me. Little right Albert. Now. Yeah. Little Albert. But like he he knows that because I think he he does genuinely exactly remember this. I think it's like his superpower is like remembering yeah, details. Like- it's oh, like absolutely. why he's it's like why he's good at his job and he knows the mm-hmm. value of it and he's smart enough. I mean, there's a in the beginning where he says like rudeness is in response to fear. People are rude when they're afraid if you show them love. And he says it so dryly that it's like kind of like you said, faking it till you make it. Does it even matter if it's coming from a genuine place or a place of self-preservation? I don't want zero or me to die. Right. Be- because yeah. it's like it's kind of whether if you're putting goodness out in the world or civility. Um, and yeah, uh, uh, Hinkles writes him like a little pass mm-hmm. to get zero through the border. And we get the, that incredible little mini stunted monologue where he's like, you see zero, there are still some faint glimmer, glimmers of hope. And what was once like this, what is now the slaughterhouse that we call humanity. And indeed that <laughs> yep. is our, like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you could see him start to like, I lost the thread. Uh, yeah. Oh God. It's so good. Yeah. I, I just, I love what this movie is is saying about that and i think that to a certain extent i mean i i think it's it's a very easy argument it's honestly it could probably be a pretty shallow argument to make (laughs) that gustav is literally wes anderson he is a director and he and this is wes Mm -hmm. anderson being like this is how you direct you just care about everyone um, right. You just yeah. care about yeah. everyone and you care about their opinions, but also you have very strong opinions of your own and you will not let people change those opinions, but you will hear them out and, and see if it yes. changes how you feel. Um, yeah. and, you, and will, you will tell an actor when they have horrible nail polish on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. But also you will remember everyone's name because yes. yeah, that's what you should do with the people who work for you. Yeah, it, it's something that resonates with me. It's something that I struggle with just being like an awkward person in the world of like, you know, reckoning kindness with honesty and learning mm. that. I mean, I, I think that's something really beautiful that you pointed out in Rushmore, Scott, is that people accept Max for being difficult and prickly and annoying. Mm-hmm. They don't cast him out because of that. He doesn't have to learn to not be that. He has other stuff to learn, but he ends that movie still being himself. Right. And like Gustav isn't a perfect dude and he's like maybe not morally perfect but he is like a decent person right and right. Uh, feels like a real person uh, yeah so they arrive at the wake it's very knives out um very stylized we get another returning champ uh dimitri played by adrian brody mm-hmm. who is the uh, the son of uh tilda swinton but first we get two bond alumni in a row <laughs> which was crazy oh yeah we get Leia Sodu playing a maid, a.k.a. Madeline Swan, the greatest the love of Bond's life. We all know her. The unforgettable <laughs> character. <laughs> the woman who stole Bond's heart. And then we get Dominic Green uh, from Quantum of Solace, Bond's most ferocious, intimidating bad guy. <laughs> the two most memorable characters <laughs> yeah. in, in all of Bond. Remember the end credits of No Time to Die were like Endgame. They just showed everyone that ever appeared in any of the Craig movies with their autographs. 
but uh, Dominic Green, I, I don't remember that actor's real name, but he's playing, but I remember his name in Quantum of Solace. Is uh, <laughs> That's a very Nick Sir- thing to do. Yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> is playing, true. He's playing Serge, uh, a, a servant. And what a great character actor this guy is. Wow. Mm, absolutely. Got, yeah. Peter Lorre energy. You know, just, yeah. he's good at being shifty. Yeah. Um, I love the wake. I love this whole, I love the, the will reading scene. It's just so fucking funny. And the yeah. massive pile of shit that Jeff Goldblum walks out with in his arms, <laughs> like just random clippings of everything <laughs> over the years. Like, yeah. Cause he's like, napkins. we had a will and this is every little add on and an addendum she made in the 40 years since her husband died. I, yep. I just I love that his, his attitude is just like, I just, I just want you people to know what I had to put up with to give you. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, K- K- Kovacs is great. Yeah, he's just he's so straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I also, but, uh, but I also love the un the unrealistic nature of the will reading in that he was like, now look, what I'm about to read has not been verified, and it's like, why oh, would you yeah. read it if you haven't verified right? it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because he's, he's a messy bitch who loves drama. Um, that's, Hell yeah, that's it. Very true. It is a big reality show host move. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. But, but today, Stir right before we received this letter from someone, and it says that. Uh, <laughs> Yes. That boy you with apple. <laughs> yeah, you are the father. And then, uh, yeah, so like uh, Gustav is being left with this priceless painting, boy with apple. And in kind of an unfortunate coincidence, he happens to like be there, which does look super suspicious. Mm-hmm. That right. he's like in the room as they're reading the will. But, you know, he didn't he couldn't have known. Right. Yeah. And uh, we meet. Uh, well, God, what was his name? Jopling, played by Willem Dafoe. Mm. Wes Anderson returning yes. champ. Uh, that yeah, that punch off is just like iconic Wes Anderson nonsense. Oh, I yeah. love the whole scene and really the whole movie, but in this scene in particular, it stands out in my in my brain as like I feel like I'm constantly turning my head like from side to side, just mm-hmm. like 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 I'm watching a tennis match almost of just like mm-hmm. oh what are they gonna say what are they gonna say what are they gonna say like just. This constant back and forth. The scene is just moving the whole time. It's so chaotic. And it's just like it builds that tension up even more. It's really mm-hmm. interesting because you could almost say that Wes Anderson, the way that Wes Anderson writes dialogue is like the anti Aaron Sorkin and that they mm. do have in common the very stylistic dialogue. But the difference is that Wes Anderson puts a beat between every single line of dialogue just a beat yep. just a little beat to give you that feeling of the tennis match of like going back and forth between the two people it gives yeah. you that moment to do that whereas wes anderson's characters they sort of like talk over each other and as soon as one person is done the next person is already starting to talk and that has a beautiful music to it as well but there's something so specific about the way that wes anderson writes that i find I think that that the way that that Chelsea is describing it with like the tennis match nature of it is exactly is exactly right. The other thing I like, though, about Wes Anderson is that he's not afraid to take time and space like Mm -hmm. it's not just like a little beat in between. Like there's so many shots where it's just very mundane, awkward shit happening like 
and it's just quiet. There's no dialogue. We're just like watching somebody like run up the stairs or something like that. And and I like that, that like it takes time to just breathe sometimes and just take in the awkward mundane nature of there's this really great example of the way that he directs dialogue in uh one of the behind the scenes documentaries it actually goes back to life aquatic but it's the scene where where bill murray is uh is shouting for his friend just like and he's got the crazy eyes and he's just shouting for him and so yeah yeah so he he he's pointing the camera right at bill murray and he's just off to the side and bill bill murray's doing shouting it um uh and and god i can't remember the name I can't remember his name. Yeah, like it's like Antonio or like whatever yeah. it is. But he was, but he was like, uh, he was like, okay. So he does it. And he was like, okay, now do it like at half speed. And he does it again. He's like, okay, now do it at double speed. And then he does it again. He's like, now do it with a break between the second and third time that you say it. And so he does it again. And he's just like, it's just that fast. Just like now do it like hmm. this. Now do it like this. Now do it like this. And he just does it, does it, does it, does it. He's like, okay, we got six takes. We're good. And then like he, he, he cuts and then he has all of these options when he gets into the edit room to find which is the funniest in the moment. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of what Chelsea is talking about, about like where space belongs. He figures all of that out in post, I think. Yeah. And even, and even that process, there's a musicality to that. Mm-hmm. It sounds like someone who has a lot of audio clips or options and takes and can construct an album out of like, you know, stuff that not necessarily was, you know, it's not theater where you were really in the moment and feeling it, but it's like, you know, it's film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, Yeah. Like, I, I remember thinking like the line you are, but you're bisexual is like the confidence you need to write a line that dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's such a dumb joke and such a brilliant movie, but it's such a brilliant <laughs> Like, or what he says, you- uh, what, is, what does he say? He's like, you're a straight man. And he goes, well, I've never been accused of that before. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. it's <laughs> uh, so good. Yeah, it's, 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 it's nuts how funny this movie is for how sad it also is. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. But that's Wes Anderson. Yeah. So uh, Zero and, and M. Gustav steal the painting. Uh, Madeline Swan and Dominic Green help them on their way. They they take off and they have oh man I was fucking I I I was obsessed with the shot where they're on the train and he's like pontific uh, Gustav's pontificating about a boy with apple and how he loves his painting I'm gonna die with this painting above my wall <laughs> and he's like there's a bit of resemblance don't you don't you think and there's been this little mirror in the shot the whole time that you mm-hmm. haven't noticed and then zero peeks into the mirror yes. and they're all in one sh- and like oh it's fantastic. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I had to pause. I had to when that shot happened, I had to pause the movie and like get up and walk around because I was just like, that's not fair. That is not fair. (laughs) It's not fair for a shot like that to exist. How dare you? (laughs) Just like tossed out in this little playful moment. Yeah. Um, And the thing I also love about that moment is, yeah, like it, it reminded me, Scott, of this thing you said about how Wes Anderson can like shift from I'm not doing this to I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. when he's like i'm gonna die this this is the like the most valuable object this is my life and i leave it to my kids i love this painting and the next scene they're in bed and he's like we should sell it you know <laughs> <Yes>. i think <laughs> yes there's there, there's a war coming the hope the hotel business is gonna take a dive i just love how how much he can just change the subject on a dime and zero will say nothing right like yeah he's yeah. just 
pontificating and changing, going from subject to subject to subject. And like where he was like, he was like, are you, where he starts asking, are you going to marry her? Like that, like all of that stuff, <laughs> you know? And just like, well, how would you feel about me officiating? <laughs> like and he was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I would be honored. He's like, yeah. great. Cause I really like her. And then like, he just changes the subject again. <laughs> yep. It's the best. Yeah, and Zero just sort of accepts this guy because he's just absorbing all of it. Mm-hmm. You learn through F. Murray Abraham's narration that he's been like absorbing this whole guy's aura. Yeah, yeah, because he just he really admires him and like just I don't know. Yeah, and it's like it's something that a young person can relate to of like finding these mentors that to you represent this bygone age of whatever mm-hmm. it is. Because we get the sense that Zero takes pride in the fact that he is a bellboy at the Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, absolutely. The way, the, the way that a kid might be being like a grip or something on a Wes Anderson movie. True. Mm-hmm. So they get back to the uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, but they are quickly met by Hinkles. Uh, there's been a murder, and they think that Gustav did it. And he tries <laughs> to run away in one of the movie's most memorable shots. Uh, yep. Yeah, just like so simple so and brilliant. dumb, but also gorgeous because you just get to stare at that set for a few seconds yeah and just like the the beat between he's like and you think i did it and then just runs away and like the beat of like recognition of like everyone being like wait did he just run away oh shit and then oh, they yeah. all go <laughs> it's so good yes that's a perfect example of what i was talking about earlier with the those just like really like long awkward pauses yeah. like mm-hmm. He's just running in the background and they're all just um, like standing there like, oh, should we, what's, we should, should we should go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when that other bellhop catches them hiding the painting and they're like, hey, the cops are downstairs. And he's like, great. We'll be right down. Like, yep. <laughs> not sketchy at all. So uh, Gustav gets sent to uh, checkpoint 19, uh, a prison. Where he, uh, I, yeah, I'm like, I'm zero goes to visit him in that monologue where he's like, "What happened to you?" Because his face all beat up. I was like, "I'll tell you what I did. I fucking show that asshole what's what. That's what you got to do, zero. You got to take down the biggest guy in the yard. Actually, he's become a dear friend. I can't wait for you to meet mm-hmm. him." <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I love seeing him like in the prison with all of these like giant burly manly men and he's just still completely authentically himself very like polite and charming and just like is completely unfazed by them just is not bothered by the fact that he's surrounded by criminals he's just like yes hello yeah he's recommending the gruel to people yes real uh real paddington bear energy this guy yes <laughs> no, i was just sure. thinking about that yeah. paul king was definitely yeah taking notes yeah it it's kind of the first like real test of his this character's philosophy of like can kindness survive even like you know a, a stark russian prison and he does uh we meet russian harvey Keitel. <laughs> Or German RV Keitel. Uh, he, his name is like like Gunther. He has like a very like I am not from New York name. And then he opens his mouth and it's just Harvey Keitel, and it's the greatest thing. <laughs> it's the best. And his stupid tattoos. His stupid, <laughs> horrible tattoos. Oh, oh they're the so best. bad. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh Jopling is on the hunt for M. Gustav and any trace of the mystery. He visits Serge's sister. And uh, 
we get we find out that uh, uh, Gustav has been sneaking Mendel's in, well, not sneaking, but getting Mendel's in from prison, and that's how mm-hmm. he's like made friends. He's been sharing this like, and it's like this little piece of and like you know the Mendel's box is kind of a microcosm of the movie where it's so pretty and takes like you know there's this line that F. Murray Abraham says about the bathhouse where he says it's too decadent for current tastes and hmm. that's what i think about with the mendel's box is it doesn't need to be that pretty it's just a box with a cupcake in it but right. it just becomes that much more special to these to these people and to us we remember the mendel's box because there's just like a little bit of extra care taken into it mm-hmm. mm. and then you get the little cupcake and it's kind of like a, mo- a wes anderson movie where there's all these little details and care in it it's not just like a cupcake yeah where it's just like it's impossible for this thing to exist and stay upright in that box. Like, there's just no way. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's like the fish in Life Aquatic. Like, you know, nothing, they don't exist, but like, you, you feel like you can touch it in the yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, we And then finally we meet uh, Agatha proper, where we learn about her, her courtship with Zero. And I think it's a credit to both of these actors and the movie itself that like, we don't really get we were just told immediately that they're in love and we buy it, you know? Yeah, yeah. why not? Yeah. Like, the, the scene on the carousel is, like, their first scene together. Mm-hmm. Where we get that really memorable shot of, like, like Shosha Ronan's face with, like, the carousel lights, like, oh, in the yeah. background. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. So I, good. I love, I my favorite part about rewatching this was just the, the fact that, like, we were watching it and Bethany was just like, why is her, why is her birthmark in the shape of Mexico? And then like later in the movie, he's like, and he's got a, she's got a birthmark, the shape of the exact shape of Mexico on her face. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, she was like, he said the thing. And I was like, yeah, that's obviously on purpose. But like, I just thought it was so funny that she instantly instantly recognized Mexico. (laughs) Yes. That's great. Uh, just such an interesting choice. And very impressive of M. Gustav to recognize Mexico in 1932 in Europe. Yeah. Right. He's a worldly True. man. Yeah, he very much oh, is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Saoirse Ronan brings a lot to Agatha. She's like mm-hmm. kind of two-dimensional for a Wes Anderson character. She's largely defined by like her purity and goodness. But sure. like I think it's Saoirse Ronan. So like, you kind of like get away with it it's really interesting that they that she kept her natural accent too yeah mm-hmm. well and we also learn why she's kind of a two-dimensional character because right very right true. because she dies very young shortly after the events of the movie um and and oh f- i was gonna and it's oh, no, in please. the it's in the memory of of f murray hambraham who has literally put her on this pedestal i mean literally the oh, cake yeah. that she's constantly making it is a pedestal in, in a lot yes. of ways. Like it's sort of shaped yeah. like a pedestal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he tells author that like, even th- saying her name brings him pain. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like, he's only able to gather this like sort of broad recollection of her goodness because he can't think too hard about like the specificity of her. Right. 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 So, uh, Agatha helps with the prison <laughs> escape by baking tools into the cupcakes. And, <laughs> um, when the guy, when the prison guard is like slicing up all the stuff to contemplate to check for like bombs and stuff, the Mendel's cake is just so perfect and so pretty that he can't, he just like, ah, I was whatever. Yeah, I can't, I can't do it. They're also yeah. very small and thin. So it's like, who, how could, who would sneak stuff in that, you know? Sure. Like, um, 
we get the uh, really, really memorable scene for me the first time watching this. So Kovacs is like being uh, hit from all sides by uh, Tilda Swinton's family to like hurry up with the process so they can get like their fortune. Uh, he gets his cat thrown out of a window by uh, Will- Willem Dafoe. I think the first cat death of in a Wes Anderson movie. Kind of a mix yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. And and then we get that Jim Carrey shot of like this flat dead cat against like the the the, the wall. The Horrible. Yeah. So bad. <laughs> and, then, and then we get um yeah, kind of like maybe the closest we'll get to a Wes Anderson thriller. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. the scene where Kovacs is trying to evade Jopling and like you know, it, it's just like shot very, you can see the motorcycle and he goes to the museum and he's winding through the museum. And then you get that catharsis, that burst of violence where it gets the door slammed on four of his fingers, oh. which is like just a moment of shocking violence. Um, But now going back through his movies, it's like that's kind of been in all of his movies is yep. a shocking act of brutal violence. Yeah. Yeah. I love that he does it. Honestly, I, I, mm-hmm. I love it because I love what it says about violence. Um in in that like it just it just sort of ruins the aesthetic of everything <laughs> yeah and it's, it's, a it's good kind point. of the for sure and then it, that's sort of uh i think that's what the fascists sort of represent in this movie is this brutal efficiency this violence and like adrian brody every his, his even his language compared to m gustav it's like fuck this you fucking idiot this is bullshit i'm gonna mm-hmm. fucking stab you and like you know fascism is so blunt and stupid and and curious you know and mm. i was like i think jopling might be like the most evil character in a wes anderson movie <laughs> i think that's yeah i think so he's a really like adrian brody's bringing it in terms of like making a really like <laughs> yeah just... he's so he's so broad but yeah he's so good um, yeah just the look of him he looks like freaking the guy from rocky and bullwinkle or like mm-hmm. both, of them, both of them together yeah um, I love his hair, though. Oh, his hair is great. Fantastic hair. Best part. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, then we get uh, the, the the prison break, which is like, I can't believe we haven't gotten a Wes Anderson prison break before now. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Owen Wilson tried to plan one in the last minutes of Bottle Rocket. But they didn't. Oh, my God. <laughs> Boom. Full circle. Yeah. They finally did it. Yeah. There's actually, there are a lot of lines in this that I can, that M, that M. Gustav says that I can picture Owen Wilson in a Wes Anderson movie also saying, like the line of like him explaining how you have to beat up the biggest guy. And, but like, actually he's a dear friend of mine and I can't wait for you to meet him. That, <laughs> yes. I can hear, I can hear Owen Wilson say those lines also. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. This is an all time prison break movie scene for me mm-hmm. um right up there with paddington like, too <laughs> right up there with paddington yep. too uh i also that's a line i could see paddington saying is when uh they open up the the thing and there's all those guards playing cards and one of them just like pulls out a, a throat slitter and they all just <laughs> kill each kill each other and he's like well i'd call that a draw <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my I, god, the part oh, please. I love that they call it a throat slitter. I was gonna say, yeah, like, oh, can, yes. can you pass my throat slitter, please? <laughs> yes. I love that they call it a throat slitter because they're like, well, they wouldn't say shiv. Like, that's not right. Let's, call, let's, <laughs> let's be even more blunt than shiv. Yes. So uh Gunther was slain in the catacombs. 
mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> as M. Gustav told Zero. And there is this really great scene where, like, uh, uh, Zero just kind of forgot some random stuff. Like, he didn't bring col- cologne. It was the breaking point. Uh, he forgot to bring M. Gustav's cologne, and so he smells bad. And, mm. like, I can kind of see where Gustav's frustration is coming from, you know? Mm-hmm. Of he's been waiting for this moment and he likes everything just so, as we've learned. Oh, yeah. But he has this really ugly outburst where just all of these racist, just like subconscious insults come flying out of him. And we learn like the real weight of what Zero has gone through to, to get to this point. Yes. Mm, yeah. Yes. It's a pretty incredible scene because, like, you know, and then uh, Ray Fines really sells Gustav's sorrow mm-hmm. of like, oh my God, I'm an asshole. Like, mm-hmm. can you ever forgive me? And Zero's like, no, no, it's fine. I understand you were you were upset. Just these <laughs> these two friends. Yeah. Oh yeah, we get that scene within the jail where Hinklings and Jopping, or Hinkles and Jopling, like kind of butt heads. And Willem Dafoe finds the uh, the Mendel's box. I love how just everyone in the world of the movie knows what Mendel's is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. They're world renowned. I mean, look at look at those boxes. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And this is where we uh, we get the aforementioned uh, society of the crossed keys. Mm-hmm. Uh, M. Gustav calls in a favor, and we get uh, Bill Murray, Fisher Stevens. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a really great sequence, and I just love how it just builds and builds and builds. Um, and it it sort of uh, it reminded me of like the the when they uh, is it is it lighting the torch of Gondor. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 Like that's, that's definitely what it reminds me of. Um, and, uh, so I, I just, I really love this sequence because then you start getting like all of the, all of the cameos, cameos where they're, where he's like, I can't, we don't have any like major roles for you, but you can all come in for a day and look fancy and do this. Right. You know, like I I can imagine Wes Anderson being really taken with the, the, the real life story behind this, you know, the real, society because like uh, Wes Anderson loves clubs and that like clubs and societies like they mean something in Wes Anderson movies like Mm -hmm. if you're a wilderness scout like that means something Mm -hmm. yeah well and I feel like we're about to get that with French Dispatch as well if you're in journalism that means something you know right yeah yeah yeah. these 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 surviving members of a dying order Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, he loves that shit. Uh, he loves that <laughs> Big shit. Big fan. <laughs> uh, Bill Murray playing Monsieur Ivan comes to pick them up. Uh, I love that scene where he's like offering him money. Like, I only have like, no, no. It's like the offering is the gesture is to like, yes. then Bill Murray's like, no, please. I can't take it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man. And then I, I forgot how much this wrecked my audience. So we get uh, Agatha's getting ready to run away. And she hears a noise. She she peeks her head out into the night on her roof, and then hard cut to close up of a newspaper. Local girl's head found in basket. Mm-hmm. And like my audience gasped. Yeah, oh, yeah. We were crushed <laughs> because the movie has earned that being possible. Like, yeah. Yes. I remember being really scared for Shor Sharon in this whole movie because you know she's dead. I mean that's heavily implied in the movie. Right. Right. And, Here's this, like, you know, this golem, you know, Willem Dafoe just on the hunt. And then the weirdest moment is when they pull out the sister's severed head. And it's, like, so graphic and horrible. But it's also, like, you're relieved. Yes. Yes. That's not Agatha. <laughs> Never been so relieved to see a severed head. 
And then uh, kind of the climax of the movie. Um, oh, we haven't said it yet. It's a miracle. This is like an hour 39. This is less than two hours long. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying like I love long movies, but like it's so impressive that he this is like under two hours and it's like this whole world. It's so tight. Like mm-hmm. the the dialogue, the script is just so like succinct and it gets exactly what it needs out of it. Nothing more. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 bonkers. Um it's bonkers how short mm-hmm. how short this movie is, considering how much story you get out of it. Right, how yeah, much detail. spanning decades. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we head into the remote foothills of the Zabrokian Alps, where we find Lucas Hedges as a, a local gas station attendant. That was awesome. <laughs> I totally forgotten mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Zero and M. Gustav head into this monastery where they find Dominic Green, and they have like the confessional booth where it's like, oh, there was a second will. Uh, he's killed by uh, Jopling, and then we get that incredible, straight out of Fantastic Mr. Fox, uh, sled chase. Yes, also reminded me a lot of like Chaplin or like Harold Lloyd. You know, yeah, Wes Anderson was like talking about this this uh, this chase sequence, and he was like, he was like, hey, look, there are benefits to being me, <laughs> and one of those benefits <laughs> is that I can have an elaborate ski. Uh, a ski chase that any other director shooting would cost fifty million dollars, but for me, it was like it was like putting some popsicle sticks on a on a, on a model <laughs> and just running it down 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 a model of an Alps. You know, yep. I was I was thinking about that a lot during this movie, especially like you know set pieces like Checkpoint Nineteen mm-hmm. is such a beautiful set and just like knowing what you've told us about the way you works is like god yeah that probably is just like a model or a painting yeah and yet it feels like you're in this glorious big world right yes um the chase is really fun uh we get that scene where like he's hey dangling over the edge m gustav and he starts reciting his like final poem and kind of what you were kind of we were talking about how the dialogue is like chopped up and broken up is he's giving this long-winded beautiful monologue and then Willem Dafoe gets pushed off the cliff. He's like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. You did it. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so good. And I love it. So, like, then they uh, they head back to the Grand Budapest Hotel where it's being occupied by the fascists. And uh, we get, r- remarkably, we get a shootout. I had forgotten about that, too, that there was, like, a shootout in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, between Gustav and Dimitri and the police and the fascists. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it really now that I think about it, it really does remind me of the way that like a Harold Lloyd movie or a Charlie Chaplin movie would have ended, yeah. where it all just kind of like comes to a head and they're dangling off the building, mm-hmm. yeah, and they fall into the the Mendel's truck. Yeah, it's the second shootout in a Wes Anderson movie, I think. Right after yeah, the Pirates. Life Aquatic. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's it's equally equally as unimpressive. Um, <laughs> just like, you know, like a, just like a lame shootout where he just like, guns oh, I lame. love the, I love the shootout in life aquatic. No, I love that, it. Like, but that track, that tracking shot. Yeah, no, it's fun. But the point of it, I think is that he's he like, he's like shooting these people, but it's just like, everybody's just shooting guns and no one's getting hit. And then finally right. one person gets hit, you know? And it's like, oh, yes. okay. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. There's a groundedness. It's not like fetishistic. Right. Like right. Be, like, a, exactly. Right. And but then we get the actual ending to the story, which is far more melancholy. And I think it's, you know, I think that's not an accident that he sort of 
props up like the Hollywood, you know, dream ending of like the bad guys go to jail, the good guys get away, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, F. Murray Abraham recounts what happened after the grand finale. Uh, Agatha and Zero became married. Uh, M. Gustav officiated, but neither of them made it out uh, of the the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Agatha, pa- Agatha and Zero's child passed away to a disease that is now treated in a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, M. Gustav is uh, shot by fascists while making a, a routine train stop. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's it's kind of it's it's perfect because it's like yeah, the whole point of the movie and maybe even Wes Anderson's filmography is like we do kind of live in this ugly brutal world sometimes but like it's important to create beauty where we can and when we can because mm. so much is not in our control. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no it's 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 a beautiful movie uh and and I just think oh man yeah it's it's I'm so glad that we we rewatched all of these films uh for this mini series and um I'm excited for French Dis- Dispatch next week um but this is just if it never gets any better than this I get it <laughs> because it yeah. is such a good movie It's so good Yeah uh something I really appreciated because I was able to like start the movie over like i mentioned mm-hmm. earlier so the movie starts with the girl um or the, you know the young person holding uh this old perfect looking library copy of the grand budapest hotel mm-hmm. and i was like oh that's it's cool they show us that first because that's kind of all that remains mm-hmm. mm. that's because this book exists because author visit you know met and talked to f murray abraham some memory of this bygone age is alive in this young person's hands yes and is honoring the author for just keeping that vision alive for people even though like the building's demolished it's gone now right Mm -hmm. but it's alive in this book that's incredible that's so good yeah love that Uh, (laughs) but but Uh, chelsea thanks for thanks for being on the show with us yeah closing thoughts yeah i i guess my my biggest takeaway is that this for a long time was my favorite movie, just period. It was my favorite movie. Um, I, I don't know if it still is, but it's still one of my favorites. Um, and it definitely holds a special place in my heart because it was my entry point into Wes Anderson. Um, yeah, I just, I feel, I always feel very inspired whenever I rewatch this just because like, these are the the kind of movies that I want to work on. Mm-hmm. And I I love how beautiful it is. I love how intentional it is. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's it's never just for the hell of it. There's always a reason and uh yeah, an intention behind everything that Wes Anderson does in his films and that's just really cool to me to see. Um, and obviously it's just, it's fucking beautiful. Like all the symmetry and the colors are just uh, to die for. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so it's, funny. It is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, do you have any kind of closing thoughts before we go into, it's interesting because we haven't seen French dispatch yet. No. So, uh, so I guess like b- before that kind of affects your view of his filmography, just have any stuff uh, that you kind of learned 
Well, I mean, I just I I I love that he just keeps like all of his protagonists are variations of of the same thing of this sort of like fake it till you make it thing. I can't wait to see where that comes in to French Dispatch. Um, but it's it's amazing that he can have such similar protagonists in every one of his movies but have a completely different movie around them. It's another reason why I think this is a legitimate franchise, despite the fact that it's a single director's filmography is because it's like, we're having another adventure with the same character and the character (laughs) is a Wes Anderson protagonist, you know? What what if a Wes Anderson protagonist was a deep sea explorer? What if a Wes Anderson (laughs) protagonist owned a hotel? Yeah, yeah, what if he what if he had a a termet termet uh trem, nope, not going to happen. Uh um, <laughs> oh, what, what if, if he was a fox? Yeah, what if he was a fox? What if what if he had a uh termet nope, not still not going to happen. Damn it. I Tumult- it was. Tumult- tumultuous. Thank you. Tumultuous. That's the word. A tum- I- tumultuous relationship with his other his two brothers. Right. Oh yeah. man, I I I kind of geeked out. That one half second scene where Adrian Brody and Owen Wilson like have two lines together. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, hey, they're they're back. They're in the yeah, same they are. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> That's good. But and I think my, my my closing thought is like exactly what you said about faking it till you make it. I think that has a lot to do with why so many young people and a very certain kind of young person, whether Gen X, millennial, or even Gen Z now, attach themselves so like viscerally to these movies is because that's kind of what being a young adult is, is you're making your own world. You're creating your own artifice and your own personality with your clothes and the music that you listen to. Yeah. Mm. And that's what a lot of Wes Anderson characters do. Yeah. 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 And I think that if you look at his entire filmography, starting with bottle rocket to here, that's what he's done. Like, he made yeah. kind of made a fake movie with Bottle Rocket. I mean, not really. It's a real <laughs> movie, but it doesn't feel yeah. like a Wes Anderson movie. It's 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 like I he wanted to do all of these things, but he can't. He's not there yet. He's not skilled enough yet. And but he's just I'm just gonna keep pretending to be a director until I become one. And yes. boy has he. Yeah. <laughs> There's this little part in this VO moment where Jude Law's in the bathhouse where he says, but then once again fate intervened on my behalf. Yes. Hmm. And I was like, yeah, that yeah, that's kind of feels like his <laughs> career. That's yeah. so good. Yeah. Anyway, uh so this isn't the end. We we'll be back next week with French Dispatch. Um excited. Excited yes. and not excited. Like my expectations <laughs> are low for me in a good way. Mhm. Okay. Cuz like mm. I don't need, I'm okay with it being messy or small compared to the Grand Budapest. Sure. 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 But we'll, yeah. but we'll see. Maybe it'll be tight and perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Um, all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, check out our Patreon, duallygenre.com slash support. Uh, we will be doing Lemony Snicket's uh, series of unfortunate events for our franchise potential episode at hmm. the conclusion of this miniseries. Um, the movie, not the show. Yes, right. The movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, check check that out if you're interested in our thoughts on that and uh of course um if you just downloaded this episode make sure you subscribe and you know what give us some reviews uh on on apple Podcasts if you can you have no idea how much that helps people find the show give us a five-star review um i think we deserve it if you don't think so then you can keep your opinion to yourself 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll talk to you next week with the French Dispatch. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.